Welcome to Strength in the Numbers. My name is Andrew Codd, accountant, author, and commercial finance entrepreneur. And it's my job each week to bring you leaders in finance and business and deconstruct with them their real stories, insights, and hard-won lessons into practical advice on the key strengths and qualities you need to remain relevant in accounting and finance today, as well as the steps you can begin to take to elevate the impact you make to have a fun, successful, and rewarding career in accounting and finance. Now let's go over to the show. Hi everyone and welcome to the show. Our guest mentor today is Kelly McCleary. Kelly's currently Vice President of Finance at Simmons Foods and has previously held a number of senior finance positions at Walmart and Cargill, two of the largest companies in the world. Kelly's based out of Siloam Springs, Arkansas and holds an MBA from Wichita State. She's also a Chartered Management Accountant and on top of all her professional successes, Kelly's passion for developing others has seen her have two books published and the latest one which we discuss a lot on the show. It's a fantastic read it's very practical useful tips in there it's called you are born to lead reflect adapt and make an impact right now so in terms of building on our strength in the numbers areas we covered in the episode that are relevant for example the four things people are looking for in an effective leader in accounting and finance the three practical ways to get accurate feedback from others which is very useful for those looking to develop and improve upon their skills Kelly also covers the two dimensions of emotional intelligence which is a key attribute common in all great leaders that they've got strong emotional intelligence also an interesting thought about how we can perhaps leverage our strengths to develop a competitive advantage from accounting and finance and also even though we've had some pockets of success when it's come to diversity kelly and i also discussed some steps perhaps that we can take to address some of the challenges for minorities and women in finance and accounting so we can build teams and strengths that are more representative of our customer bases but also gain more productivity from diverse opinions thoughts and contributions the show notes for this episode can be found on sitnshow.com slash podcast slash zero one two and i encourage you to check them out because there was an awful lot of good gems that we unlocked during the conversation together i really enjoyed recording this episode with kelly she's very down to earth practical and her passion for developing others really shines through so everyone's bound to take at least one two things away from listening to this podcast so without further ado over to kelly and the show so kelly welcome to the show thank you very much andrew uh, kelly i know uh, you co-authored uh, the second book which uh, i really enjoyed reading uh, i want to talk about with you some more later in our conversation but you know writing's a big time and energy commitment so uh, what possessed you to go and uh, on this writing journey not just once but twice yeah this second book was definitely a book of passion. I think I had more confidence after the first one, which was a faith-based book, so not uh, not work-related. But this one was really born out of a passion of having really learned some hard-fought lessons as a leader along the way. And really just wanted to to share those with others. Basically, Christine and I got to the point where we wanted to write the book that we both wished that we had early in our careers because we both made a lot of mistakes along the way. And when you embark in a career in business and leadership, you really, as you progress through your career, different demands are and are needed of you along the way. And often no one really gives you a heads up or a warning that that's going to be the case. And so many of us are left to stumble our way along through our career as a leader. And 
learn those lessons the hard way and so much pain and suffering, if you will, could have been avoided had we just had some heads up and uh, some coaching along the way. We've both had good mentors, but really not, well, either one of us would consider a comprehensive coach to help us avoid some of the mistakes. And so that's really what we set out to do. And we hope the book uh, does that in my in my view if I, and I have re- I read it just uh, through the ones I, I definitely think it does I suppose I'm just thinking about it. it's not as if when we sort of started our careers anyone handed us a handbook and said oh yeah you, you might want to watch out for these things and uh, this is what you do in these scenarios you know if we had something like that it definitely would have accelerated our success so uh, so looking forward to getting to some of those later with you for our listeners today but I'd imagine they'd appreciate it a bit if you could maybe share briefly your story of how you ended up in your current role in accounting and finance. Well, I started in college. I was going to be an engineer, and I took loved math, loved science, took one engineering class, loved the work. But uh, frankly, I look back now with some amusement that I realized that I didn't feel like I had a lot in common with the other students in my class. We did a lot of group work. And so started looking around for something else and found finance and really have enjoyed it. What I went into the field for was, again, a love for numbers and order and rational (laughs) kind of thoughts. But what I have really learned that I didn't realize early in my career was I have a passion for developing others. And so leadership has been, for me, that's the most rewarding part of what I do now, the finance part. While I still enjoy the work, it's I view that as what I do to get a paycheck. Yeah. And really, it's leading others that is what's truly rewarding. And it, that's it's interesting in terms of the, the leading others piece, because in the book, I felt... Both, both you and Christine distilled the myth very well that a leader has to be someone with direct line management responsibility. That doesn't necessarily have to be in the case because when I look around at my colleagues and, and the people I've met throughout my career, we have a lot of individual contributors in finance and accounting, controllers, tax specialists, people who work in FP&A or finance business partners. So as those individual contributors, they too can also be leaders of their relative parts of the business. What sort of, uh, I suppose, advice do you give to, to those individual contributors to say to them, well, you can be leaders too? Well, there's a quote, and I'm not going to remember. There Actually, there are a series of quotes, and Maxwell's got one of them that talk about leadership today is really just about influencing. And so influencing is something that all of us can do from the moment we start our careers, regardless of title or role, to your point. And I think that's... You know, that's what is the most rewarding to me. I want to make an impact uh, in people's lives as a leader, but I also want to make an impact on the business from a finance seed or whatever role you're in. You can make an impact on the business. And I think there's everyone wants to, to have meaning in their lives and to have meaning means that you want to have made a difference. And so to me, that's that's what it simply is. And one of my favorite book titles is you don't need a title to be a leader. Mm. And that's that's something I've coached people on at the early part or early stages in their career. 
I think all of us have the ability to influence and with, I suppose, the increased importance of finance business partnering in our roles, you know, that is really about bringing insights, uh, the ability to influence and drive impact in our business. So I think this is where we have the worlds of finance and leadership nicely meshing and, and, and why a career in finance and accounting is, is actually brings the best of both. So I'm going to pull it directly from the book, quote, the first step on the path to leadership is knowing yourself rather than knowing what you want. That's quite a powerful statement. Do you remember why you made that? The field of leadership, there's a lot of talk now about emotional intelligence, and I'm a strong believer in that's what truly makes the great leaders that I've worked with or for. And the book talks a lot. There are a lot of books about emotional intelligence, and we touch on on it in ours as well and give give an overview. But if you just simply think of two dimensions, self-awareness and self-control, those who are high in both, that's a very simple definition of emotional intelligence. And if we think about the good leaders we've worked with and then the bad ones, it tends to be that they were the bad ones were poor on one or both of those and, and vice versa. The good ones were strong. And my favorite definition of a leader is a very simple three words. And that is a leader is someone others follow. And there are a lot of reasons that people will follow a leader. And I think the the fun part of a leader's journey, and that's one of the things we touch on in the book, is each of us needs to find that journey for ourselves. And each of us brings unique strengths and talents to leadership. And the cool part is we both believe, Christine and I, that there's no one right model of leadership. And so we can all influence others. We can all get others to follow us, again, regardless of title or role. And it's more about being authentic to yourself and leveraging your strengths. And look, in terms of being authentic to ourselves and leveraging our strengths, obviously, we've got great technical training in accounting and finance, some credibility around the numbers. But I, I suppose, how do we develop other strengths in terms of our leadership strengths? Well, I think and that's where that's why we started the book with knowing ourselves is we all have different natural abilities and talents, but we also have different passions. And so it's a matter of tapping into that, which makes you uniquely you. I view it as we all have an ability to create a competitive advantage, and that is in leveraging our strengths. And the, one of the books, Strengths Finders, is quite popular and talks about that concept. And I think it's really important because we tend, because of the feedback we get, we tend to sometimes focus too much on our opportunities or our weaknesses mm-hmm. instead of our strengths. And yet it's our strengths that make us unique and that have helped us achieve the success that we've had. And we need to not forget to continue to build and develop those strengths as we go through our careers because it's what got us where we're at and that's what's going to make us special and unique and give us that competitive advantage going forward as a leader. You, you might have quoted there's probably around 200,000 leadership books out there in the market at the moment. Yes. And I imagine a lot of them are probably suggesting this one size fits all approach. And and what you're really in effect saying is, no, no, the, the leadership approach that's going to work for you is, is one that's unique to you, one's, one that's building on your strengths, your unique strengths. And that's what's going to allow you to develop your competitive advantage. Is that a fair sort of summary to, to say? Yeah, it certainly is. And one of the things that when I when I have the opportunity to speak to students or uh, MBA graduates about leadership, I ask them to imagine a leader or two that they admire. And then when we talk about who they came up with, sometimes they're public figures, sometimes they're a teacher or coach that they've 
that they've known in their lives, but they have very different styles. And to me, that's the liberating part of thinking about leadership is that if you think about it, there are quiet leaders and there are vocal leaders, introverts and extroverts, and a lot of different styles can all be effective. And I really think that, and we talk about it in the book, that there are really four things people are looking for in a leader but not a specific personality necessarily. And those four things are trust. Studies show that that's the number one thing people want in their leader. Another is vision. They want to know the leader is going to take them somewhere worth going. The third is execution. It's not much fun having a vision if you never actually get there. And then the last is a bit uncommon to think about in leaders, although more of that is growing with concepts like emotional intelligence, and that is caring. People want to know that they are, that their leader has their best interest in heart. And so you can have a lot of different personality styles, and as long as you've got those four, uh, you can be an effective leader. And I, I love that last one that you threw in caring. That sometimes, uh, I don't know, in my, in my career, I felt that that's been sometimes missed by some of the leaders I've been around, perhaps maybe because the numbers are a bit cold, a bit black and white. But um, but the best leaders are the ones that do seem to take an interest in your family care, will go the extra mile for you, take the extra time with you. And I suppose, you know, thinking about the book, some really great chapters, uh, I, I think, t- touching on great areas, particularly if you're a finance professional today, there was coaching in there, emotional intelligence, influencing, dealing with career changes, leading global teams. Uh, and there's another chapter I want to touch on lately I haven't mentioned now, but um, was there any particular chapter you'd regard as your favorite in terms of writing and in, in writing the book? Wow, that's a good question. Um, I don't, I don't know what I would what I would choose. I think maybe leading global teams. I had the privilege, uh, one of my companies, to to take a global role and had the. It wasn't indeed a privilege to travel all over the world with colleagues from all over the world and from a small town farm girl from the middle of the U.S. That was a really broadening experience for me and really rewarding and I learned a lot. If uh, there was other people in accounting and finance that had the opportunity to to travel globally and take on a global role, I mean, what would be some areas they, they should be mindful of and perhaps look out for to make sure that it is a, as successful as possible? Well, I'll tell you the advice that I gave everyone who went on to that team was seize the experience and you know, take advantage of every opportunity to learn and to experience different things. And this may sound a, a bit humorous, but I actually told them all to buy all the souvenirs you possibly can. It was, <laughs> and it, it's, a, it's a matter of you think that you will you will have a chance to go back and do things and that's rarely indeed the case. And so, you know, I, I, it's, it's the old quote, you regret more the things that you don't do uh, than the things that you do. And so I look back and I I feel grateful. I took advantage of most of the opportunities I had and the ones that I did, I chose not to take advantage of are, are definitely regrets focus on the positive dead so uh, so what would be your have been your favorite souvenir uh, it's actually a gift i brought back from for our son and it was we visited uh, so i traveled to romania 
and we took a weekend trip up to Transylvania and visited what's oh. rumored to be uh, Dracula's castle. And so one of the chintzy souvenirs they were selling in the gift shop was a small bat encased in lucite. And so that was, if I had it to do over again, I would have bought three or four of those and I would have kept one for myself. <laughs> Since you're not, that sounds really cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, um, oh, wow, what a great story. I, I, there was a, another bit I wanted to tease out as well is in the book it says, you know, to be mindful to bring your best self to every interaction. I think that's such a, a key statement to make. But uh, for our listeners on the call wanting to know how to do that, how how could we bring our best self to every interaction? I think, and this is, pretty crucial if there are only one or two things that people might take away from either the book or this discussion it's the importance of feedback and so it's critical to give feedback it's the only way to improve as a leader to understand the impact you're having on others and and to develop that self-control that's so important in emotional intelligence and so feedback, uh, is, it's one of those studies show that it's one of the things that that we don't get enough of, that too few people go through their careers getting adequate feedback. And for what it's worth, women get less than men for all kinds of reasons, at least here in the U.S. And so we have to spend our careers actively pursuing feedback. And that in itself can be tricky because often people are reluctant to give it, not because they don't care mm-hmm. uh, about you as a leader, but it's more, it's uncomfortable, especially if there's any negative to give. And so there are ways to get feedback uh, or to get to more effectively draw it out of folks. One is to really understand that trust relationship that you have or don't have with that person. The more you do, the more likely you are to get accurate feedback from them. Another is to be very specific in terms of how you ask for feedback. So if you just ask someone, hey, can you give me some feedback? That feels like I'm asking you to pass judgment on me as a person. And that's very mm-hmm. intimidating yeah. and is far likely to get or far less likely to get you what you're after than if you just say, hey, I feel like I didn't hit my stride in that last meeting. Do you have any feedback for how I could have done it better and be very specific? And then that's much safer for people to provide you feedback. And then the other type of feedback I encourage people to practice is informal feedback. And that is the body language that you get or, you know, the reactions you get, uh, whether they're positive or negative. And just taking time, not a lot, but just a little bit of time after a, a meeting or an interaction to process and reflect on how did that go? What can I learn about it? And develop that habit yourself. And even then, we still won't have enough feedback, but at least if we're being very deliberate about collecting it and and asking, then we'll at least have a better shot of knowing what our blind spots are and then adapting over time to that while staying true to yourself when we talk about that in the book because not all feedback should be reacted to, whether it's Completely. yeah, whether it's because you're not sure that you trust that the giver has your best interest at heart, and that can be the case, or that you know it's it's a 
part of you and to your point staying authentic you've got to stay authentic to yourself uh there are impacts to your to your health if you're not and people can always tell if you're not so you have to know when to react and when not i do encourage people though that if you ever choose not to react to feedback to do so extremely thoughtfully and deliberately because the reality what i have learned the hard way actually is that if someone says that you know says something about me that i'm not sure that I agree with or that I want to change. I need to recognize that just because one person did, it's highly likely that others will as well. And so if I ignore it, I just need to be really uh, mindful of the potential impact of that. I scratch my head because, again, in finance and accounting, we're very used to providing feedback to the business on performance because because the performance is a function of the financial outcomes that we report, analyze, uh, and share with our business partners. So it's a fact that I felt that it's something we could be doing better ourselves within our own profession with each other. I do scratch my head on that one. I I think there's there's something in there for everyone to take away from what you've just said. So, So thank you for some very practical advice. And that was another thing that Sean threw in the book was just the practical nature of it. It was, that's why I want to come back. It's, it's not quite a recipe guide because it, you're tailoring it to our unique circumstances, our unique strengths, but it felt like you could come away doing the exercise in the book with a really good recipe for our own success as a leader and you know as a corollary in having a successful career and fulfilling and rewarding career in finance the in the book you address um, the challenges uh, faced by women and minorities and i think that's an area that's sort of skated over a bit and a lot of other leadership books do feel when i look around the office i don't exactly see the same representation as i imagine our customers buying our goods would would look like as well so what are some of the sort of challenges i think you mentioned there about feedback uh, from for women but what are some of the main challenges faced by women and minorities and what could we perhaps doing it from a leadership perspective about it. I've spent a lot of time and energy on this topic in all the companies that I've been in. There are very few companies that really have it knocked out of the park and it's mm-hmm. difficult. And what I've what I've come to believe is the main reason for that is is a topic that I've spent a fair amount of time researching over the last couple of years, especially and that's unconscious bias. There are some fun little surveys out on the internet that you can take on unconscious bias. And it's interesting because what they tell you is that women have the same unconscious biases that men do about themselves. And so it just shows you how ingrained some of the perceptions are. And we've all read about kind of at a high level, what those look like that same behaviors uh, exhibited by a woman are considered negative where those behaviors in a man would be considered positive and in a nutshell that kind of describes high level but the nature of it being so ingrained in both men and women from a societal perspective I think is what's made it particularly difficult to tackle and a lot of very big companies that really do mean well have spent decades working on this and still to your point Mm -hmm. don't represent greater society at large and so uh, I haven't yet had the privilege of working for a company that's done it that's doing it really really well but I've seen some pockets of success and I've seen some pockets of failure and what I've come to believe is a couple of things I think first that 
it does require what's called a sandwich approach. And so you've got to have grassroots efforts. So those are what we call in the States employee resource groups, a women's group or Latin America group that get started because you've got to have arms and legs out there pulling women together and holding events and creating development opportunities and that kind of thing. Um, But it really also requires strong not just support from senior leadership because support means I, yeah, sure. We've got a women's group. That's great. Uh, and we strongly support it and we show up to the events, but if that's all that happens, that's simply support. It really takes advocacy and it takes leadership declaring that it's important enough that they will tackle all of the institutional processes that are the only way to at least somewhat counter those unconscious biases and that means tackling recruiting strategies and succession planning and development and mentoring programs and all of the things that that are that take that unconscious bias and institutionalize it and so it's there's a lot of really simple things that people don't think about and you know there are studies out there that talk about the language and job postings will either attract women or they won't. Um, There's a study, which I still am astounded at, that says that when two women are included in a pool of candidates for a job, the odds of them, one of them being hired or selected, go up, I think it's sevenfold, versus if only one woman is included. And in fact, it's highly unlikely that. that one woman in a pool of candidates will get hired. And so there's some psychology around why that is the case, but that's just those, but being aware as a, as leadership, being aware of how those things, those unconscious biases play out in our, in our processes is really required to help root them out and counteract them. I know, I know we've had other guests on, on the, podcasts and they've shared uh, similar research about the the value of having a diverse workplace and and the increases that can have in productivity, particularly productivity and uh, value of thought. Um, I'm just astounded by the numbers I keep hearing. Just thinking a bit, is this somewhere where we can help in finance and accounting, making some of this unconscious bias a bit more conscious by reporting more on it or at least tracking some of the qualitative and quantitative indicators where we can? I think that's a great idea. I hadn't really thought about finance playing a strong role other than we're a good place to be a role model mm-hmm. because we tend to be a field where more women are uh, attracted to, uh, you know, out of out of college. And so we can be a role model. And a lot of finance and accounting folks go on to to go into core operations as well. And so we we certainly have at least that role to play, but I like I like your thinking around bringing facts and numbers and logic to bear on it as well. To give you credit now, because I hadn't had that thought until we actually got speaking together today. So uh, so I've got to give you a lot of the credit there, Kelly. But like I was just thinking back to some of my own sort of end of year and quarterly reviews. And it's something I always used to track in the teams I used to lead was what's the balance of male to female? What's the, the sort of ratio in terms of where people are coming from, their backgrounds? What stage of their career are they at? Um, are we represented? Are we representative of our customers? And I, I, I suppose it would go out of kilter 
because I wouldn't have led the biggest teams, you know, in terms of uh, hundreds and hundreds of people. It'd be more in the tens. And it was like, I guess wherever I can do to balance it or just being mindful of it if the, the the person with the necessary background wasn't there then unfortunately I wouldn't be able to balance it as fast as enough as I liked but it was always the target to try and move the needle where I felt we had a representative uh, view on our, our customers and I felt if we could think better like our customers then I, I, th- I felt we'd probably be providing more accurate value and, and more value as a team so I'm wondering yeah I, you know maybe we should go away and explore those thoughts a bit more about how we can maybe track the qualitative and quantitative things like you know how many ERGs we got are they delivering on their key success factors or key outcomes their goals I think there's a lot of qualitative areas we could probably uh, follow up on as well as the quantitative and who knows maybe maybe someone listening to this might have the answers as well so if you do please please get in contact with us we'd love to hear um, how you're doing it so we can share with the rest of our community so Kelly I was thinking I was going to step it up a bit we've spent a lot of time talking about a fantastic book uh, I just want to get some of your thoughts on there was any sort of book even that you'd recommend to our, our listeners that's benefited you in your career whether it be business or uh, outside a non-business book uh, what book would that be the book that i've recommended the most the single most recommended book i've had is managing transitions by okay. bridge mm-hmm. and it's a change management book and there's i don't think there's any of us in finance and accounting that don't go through significant change management events and opportunities through our careers and so that's another place where it'd be easy to be uh, to develop a just you know competitive advantage or to become known as someone who's good at change or leading change and it's a really great book i've actually had uh my entire team read it at one point when we were going through a massive change and in fact i'm preparing to have my current team read it as well. It's a short read. It's very practical. It too has exercises. I did not fill them out, but they're <laughs> good to think about. But it's it talks about the stages of change and what what people on the team are going through and how much time to spend on the leaders versus the the middle of the roads versus the blockers and it's just very practical. Uh, thank, thanks for suggesting this resource uh, Kelly and I'm going to put a link to the book in our show notes uh, that'll go out after the show as well uh, and again I suppose we've been talking about the current state and, and our experiences here Kelly maybe looking ahead to the future I mean if there was one thing that we in accounting and finance could do to prepare ourselves better for the future given all the transitions and change that's happening with and digital disruption and industry 4.0 and, and the technologies the digitization you know what quality or or value or strength could we look to develop over the next 12 months that would allow us to remain relevant and continue to add value to our stakeholders whilst also having a rewarding and successful career? I think it's really focusing on developing the folks on your team. Organizations never have enough strong, good leaders, and we have an obligation to help develop those uh, on our teams to meet the needs of the of the future and there are too few leaders who've had good role models and how to develop others but it's a skill that uh, no one taught me but just simply by practicing it 
it's something that can be self-taught. And so I would just encourage people to begin focusing pretty immediately on ensuring that your team members have good, strong development plans and that you're drawing out what it is that they want to do, drawing out their passions, helping align the their interests with the work that needs done. I always tell folks that come onto my team for the first time that we're going to spend a fair amount of time on your development plan. And it's purely selfish because I will get more work out of you because people (laughs) will always work harder for themselves than they ever will for anybody else. And so when that alignment happens, you end up with, it's just a huge win across the board. Employees win because they are, they're working on the things that they're passionate about. Company gets more out of them. You get a, reputation or a leadership brand as someone who can develop others and it's just a win-win-win great great advice something that resonates very much with me so so kelly uh, thank you so much for providing so many great insights and practical advice to our listeners today on on how to build our strengths and enhance our leadership skills Uh, should any of our audience wish to find out more about you and connect with you uh, where's the best place to find you at i'm on linkedin and so searching for Kelly J. McClary and a subsequent search. I don't think there are very many folks with that Irish a name, Andrew, <laughs> but, uh, but at Simmons Foods, we'll get you, get you to me. Excellent. And I, I will, um, just to make sure uh, that, that we find the right Kelly J. McCleary, I've got to put uh, your link in the show notes as well to your LinkedIn page. So, so Kelly, thank you for that. Kelly, thank you so much for, for investing your time with us today. I'm lucky you've been a great guest and it's been a pleasure to, to have you on the show. Nope, I've enjoyed it very much, Andrew. Thank you for inviting me. So there you have it. Hope you enjoyed today's show. If you'd like to know more about our guests today, their bio and follow up on the resources mentioned during the show, you can find all the relevant links and more at sitnshow.com. There you'll also be able to get access to earlier shows, read the latest blogs. There's also an opportunity to subscribe to our newsletter, which will give you heads up as to when the next show is coming out, latest events, news and anything that's going to be relevant to help you have a fun, rewarding and successful career in finance and accounting. And just before you go, we really appreciate your feedback. If there's something we can do better on the show, something that's not working or something you'd like to see, even a guest you'd like for us to invite onto the show, someone who you think might be able to benefit you more and also the rest of our community, please let me know. You can email me. I'm at andrew at sitnshow.com or feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. Just drop me a message so I know how you found me and we can connect. And really, it's our community that will make the show. If we keep engaging and driving each other on, we'll keep on building our strength in the numbers. When all is said and done, if we can do the numbers better and finance better, we'll create more opportunities for ourselves, our friends, our families, our communities and our businesses. So until next time, have a good rest of the week. Take care and let's keep building our strength in the numbers.